0: Hey, I'm Tamara Kendacher, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. So to start with some good news. It seems like COVID vaccines for kids are around the corner. Last week, Pfizer said their vaccine showed 91% efficacy against the coronavirus in a clinical trial of kids aged five to 11. And all they need is one third of the dose given to people aged 12 and older. The companies already asked Health Canada to approve it. On Monday, Moderna also said its vaccine generated a strong immune response in kids aged six to 11 and that it plans to submit data to global regulators soon. Despite this though, not all parents are ready to get their kids vaccinated. A lot of them have hesitations, which presents a huge challenge for the rollout and yet another
1: hurdle we have to overcome to finally put this pandemic behind us parents are going to feel a lot less enthusiastic about getting their kids vaccinated for a number of reasons and I think one of them being for the entire pandemic they've been told kids are fine kids have mild COVID. Carly Weeks is a health
0: reporter for The Globe and she's on the show today. We're going to talk about why some parents are concerned about vaccinating their kids and what governments need to do to quell those fears. You're listening to The Decibel. Hey, Carly, thanks so much for doing this. Of course. So, Carly, how soon do you think we might see a vaccine for kids aged 5 to 11?
1: We're hoping it's as soon as possible. It could be as early as sometime in November. And certainly over the weekend, Anthony Fauci in the U.S. indicated that's the timeline they're working with there. The U.S. tends to be a lot more transparent with timelines than we are here in Canada. That being said, we know that Health Canada has been looking at the clinical trial data submitted by Pfizer for the last couple of weeks. So we are really hopeful that this means good news will be on the horizon, that if everything looks good from a safety Uh, an efficacy standpoint, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility to see something approved within several weeks. Can
0: you tell me anything about the vaccines themselves? Like, do we know which ones might become available and how effective they are?
1: So it's not just the Pfizer vaccine for kids under 12 that we'll soon be looking at. Moderna is now saying that its first data involving kids age 6 to 11 has been complete, and they're showing a really strong immune response in their trial. Not unexpected, of course, because we know that this vaccine works really well in adults. For kids, uh, the dose is basically just less because kids have a really strong immune response.
0: Things are moving really fast. And this just makes me think of the rollout for adults, which was very chaotic, especially where we are in Ontario. I think a lot of people would agree that it was a mess. Are we in a better spot this time with kids?
1: Yes, and a mess is certainly putting it nicely, I think. I would like to think we're in a better spot, um, but I did a story a couple of weeks ago where I talked to a bunch of infectious disease experts and public health officials from across the country, and I didn't get a lot of indication that there was tons of planning that had already been done. And it seems as though, much like for everything else in this pandemic, we're kind of waiting to see what happens. So when the vaccine is approved, we're going to get a plan together and we're going to figure out how we're going to give it. The thing with kids is we have to kind of reinvent the wheel. We already did this with adults, but children are much different. You can't simply open up a mass vaccination clinic and expect a bunch of kids 5 to 11 to go in and watch each other get vaccines. I mean, kids tend to have more needle phobia. They tend to, you know, respond and react to stimuli much more. So there has to be real care taken with the planning process for kids. We have heard from places like Toronto Public Health um, and BC officials, they're working on plans. In BC, they're registering kids under 12 to get vaccinated. So I think there's a recognition that we don't want to make the same mistakes. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I'm not sure if we're going to actually hit that mark. Are there other
0: logistical challenges that need to be considered for kids that we didn't have to consider for adults?
1: Well, there's many, you know, I think one of the issues is also going to be where we're doing it. So there's a lot of people who are saying, let's vaccinate kids in schools, whereas others Mm -hmm. say, no, it needs to be out in the community where their parents can be with them to hold their hand. There's everything from where we're going to do it, specifically how things will be set up, you know, how we're going to do that outreach. And then there is the whole question of reaching people who are feeling hesitant. So there's a whole giant aspect of this campaign that I think we don't talk about often enough, which is basically messaging and how we're gonna be communicating to parents that these vaccines have been looked at. They are safe. This hesitancy
0: that you're talking about is being reflected in the data, right? So there was this Angus Reid poll that came out last week that asked parents if they'd vaccinate their kids age five to 11, if a vaccine became available. And only 51% said yes, as soon as it became available, 18% 18% said, yes, I will eventually, but wait a while. 23% said no, and 9% said they were unsure. So what are experts telling you about why parents are hesitant about vaccinating their kids?
1: Yeah, and, and those poll results are certainly uh, sobering, because if those numbers do hold up even a little bit, you know that's really troublesome for our vaccination effort, and we need to get kids vaccinated to bring this pandemic to an end. So one of the things I think that has parents most concerned are just is, is the safety aspect. It's new. They have questions about the safety and they want answers. And I think that, um, we don't often do a very good job here in Canada of providing really accessible answers to those kinds of questions. And we certainly did see that with the earlier rollout. I think the vaccine had already been out for some time before we saw a lot of health units and health groups across Canada create tailored messaging for various groups in various languages, doing a lot of the outreach that probably should have been done before the vaccine was even approved. So the issue with kids is going to be even trickier. Parents are going to feel a lot less enthusiastic about getting their kids vaccinated for a number of reasons. And I think one of them being for the entire pandemic, they've been told kids are fine. Kids have mild covid don't worry about kids. And there's been this framing of it. And we've, we keep seeing it from health officials as well. Whenever um, you know, there is a terrible tragedy involving a child dying of COVID, we always hear, but they had underlying conditions as if that's supposed to make it okay. So don't worry, your kids are going to be fine. It's just these kids with health issues might not be. And that is a really troubling framing. And one of the things that it has done is perpetuated this idea that kids are safe when it comes to COVID, when in fact they are not. For the most part, kids do experience mild illness, but there will be a subset who will experience very severe symptoms. They may need to be hospitalized. And as we have seen, there are some cases of pediatric death in Canada. Um, It's scary. And at this point, we're almost at the stage where it can be prevented. And the thing that might stop it is parents who've been filled with misinformation and uh, just enough of these ideas about safety worries that it makes them stop and think. And we know that in this pandemic, stopping and waiting and hesitating can mean the difference between, you know, life and death or, you know, a very severe case in the hospital.
0: So this may be obvious to our listeners, but it's true that we have been told throughout the pandemic that kids aren't impacted as seriously. So I wonder if you can talk a bit about why this idea is now a problem and what are we not understanding when we think about kids and COVID in that way?
1: You know, I had a really interesting chat with a pediatric infectious disease specialist in Alberta who has three kids in primary school, so none of them are vaccinated, and she is the one who first brought this idea to me, and it really, I think, resonated because it's something I've been thinking about for a long time, is that I think that it's a lot less scary to tell parents that COVID is no big deal, because we know a lot of your kids might get COVID and they'll be fine, but I think that in terms of the disservice that it's done for parents, is that it has, yes, spread this False idea that that kids will be fine. They won't experience some of these side effects. I mean, there's kids with long COVID. There's kids who get all kinds of very serious long term side effects from COVID, not to mention the mental health impacts of the continuing pandemic. So the longer this goes on, the greater the risk of school shutdowns, extracurriculars not being allowed, um, and even things like you know kids who are very vulnerable. We know that they're the ones who are likely going to suffer the most. So not being able to get to their specialist appointments in person. What we're seeing from a lot of the evidence and from what a lot of experts are saying is that they fear that this idea about safety issues and concerns is going to be what stops a lot of parents from vaccinating their kids. Um, so basically the risks of COVID far outweigh any risks of the vaccine. Are we doing that messaging? Are we communicating that idea properly? Mm
0: -hmm. So how do you go about undoing that messaging that the risks to kids who catch COVID are mild? How do you go about undoing that messaging that's been fed to parents for the entirety of the pandemic?
1: Well, I think you need to start right away with a very, very clever, smart, open and transparent campaign, like an information campaign. We are living in an era where it's almost like information warfare and there's a fire hose coming at us every day from the second you open your phone in the morning while you're scrolling in bed like I do to the second you close your eyes at night. You know, there's conflicting information. There's, you know, a lot of websites that are masquerading as real news, spreading very scary ideas about the vaccine and kids. Um, so I think that we're working in, on a real uphill battle here and public health officials have their work cut out for them. That being said, I don't think you need to start some sort of information campaign by striking fear into the hearts of parents either. I think we just need to be really open and frank about this. You know, for every hundred kids that get COVID, there will be, you know, one or two that may end up in the hospital or, you know, that, that kind of thing. And I think that really, really sending these proper messages out, you know, showing what it looks like when all of the sports fields are empty and schools are closed versus, mm. as we all see kids across the country back in class wearing masks and, and being safe and being able to control the spread, how much better it'll get when we're able to vaccinate those kids. So the experts that I'm speaking to are basically saying we need to have clear, open, transparent information. That's what these doctors I've been speaking to are kind of pleading for. What
0: kind of misinformation have you seen? Like, what are we up against when it comes to education?
1: So there was a Canadian study that came out a couple of weeks ago that was promptly retracted that falsely said that the risk of heart inflammation tied to the vaccine was much greater than it actually was. But all it took was to publish that for anti-vaccine activists and others to sort of take hold of it, to write their own news stories about it. And then it spreads like wildfire on social media. It is really troubling to see the level of lying that's going on when it comes to these vaccines. So like you name it, it's being said.
0: Yeah. So when should this education campaign start?
1: I mean, months ago, years ago. Um, <laughs> I think the problem is that we have been dealing with this problem for, you know, more than a decade. And not to go all the way back, but, you know, to the famous 1998 publication of the infamous retracted study that falsely linked vaccines to autism mm-hmm. that was completely bunk and made up. But, you know, the fallout continues today and here in Canada. You know, we do have high vaccination rates among kids, but there is, uh, you know, a couple of percent in there, sort of this segment of the population of parents who are hesitant. They're not necessarily hardcore anti-vaxxers because we do have those. But my point is, this is not a new problem. And in fact, COVID just makes it that much worse.
0: The other side of this that I wanted to talk about is incentives. So we've been seeing the rollout of proof of vaccination programs across Canada for adults to gain access to things like restaurants and travel and concerts. Could an incentive program be introduced for kids and what might that look like?
1: Yeah, I think incentives will definitely be playing a role here. I think that it's probably unavoidable in some aspect. And I know that some people are hesitant about that because they want to use you know, the carrot rather than the stick. But as we've seen with adults as soon as vaccine passport programs get announced and rolled out, the number of people who are going to get their first shot, you know, goes up exponentially or, you know, really high the next day. Um, that's because there are some people who are simply saying, well, I'm not at risk, so I'm not going to get vaccinated. So, you know, give people a reason to go out and get their kids vaccinated. If they're not enthusiastic about getting their kids vaccinated because they feel the risks of COVID are low, then perhaps, you know, the idea that if your child wants to participate in an extracurricular activity, that might be enough to push them to going get vaccinated. And certainly for those people that want their kids to participate and have their kids vaccinated and want to keep their kids safe, they don't want to have, you know, unvaccinated kids coming in and, and potentially bringing in risks because, and let's not forget, there's a lot of kids out there who do have underlying medical conditions, who do need that layer of security around them. So the flip side of that is that it's only fair to have those same rules in place for kids to keep them protected. The other thing we often talk about, people continue to cite the fact that, you know, X, you know, 99.9% of kids will survive, you know, this pandemic, they'll survive getting COVID. I mean, so if the bar for making kids safe is seeing more kids die before we take action, I mean, that's a scary thought. We need to be doing everything we can. Now, any kids dying of COVID is, is a tragedy. It doesn't matter what their medical background is. And think about all those years lost in that child's life, you know.
0: In terms of what an incentive program could look like, would it be just like mandating vaccines
1: for kids to go to school? So the, the brief lay of the land is that here in Canada, there's not a whole lot of mandatory vaccination programs in schools anywhere. Ontario has had one of the largest and longest running mandatory vaccination programs for schools, and it does see really good results. So basically, you're required to have routine childhood vaccinations to go to school, and so there's typically vaccination rates that are very high, and obviously, that's a really good thing to have. New Brunswick also has that similar legislation, but there's been a lot of issues with enforcement, and so, a bunch of measles outbreaks have occurred, and they've been trying to beef things up there without great success. BC, after their own set of measles outbreaks, they've sort of rolled out a reporting system. So, you have to, you know, tell the school about your kids' vaccination status. But there hasn't been a big political appetite in the rest of the country to adopt these kinds of programs. So, I think it It could remain a tough sell. We've seen how provinces have really hesitated to even bring in a vaccine passport system for adults. But I think just from a science and facts standpoint, does it make sense to require kids to show that they're vaccinated to go to school? Absolutely. Are
0: there previous vaccination campaigns for kids that we can learn from?
1: Yes, and you know, the the biggest one that the historians have been drawing comparisons to is the polio vaccine campaign from the 1950s. And I was speaking to a a medical historian about this. And even though there have been many other public health threats since, polio was truly a very scary epidemic that killed many children, paralyzed children. It was, you know, stalking children across Canada. And I think that that was the last time there was this urgent push to say, we need to get kids across the country vaccinated. And, you know, a lot of us have grown up in an era where a lot of those diseases have disappeared from view. Plenty of doctors have never seen a case of measles with their own eyes, right? And things like that. We now have a vaccine for chickenpox and and whooping cough. And so we've done so well, as people like to say, vaccines are a victim of their own success. I think that in some ways, we need to almost dig into that history of how many kids used to die in Canada every year from preventable illness. Lots. A very scary amount, in fact, that vaccines are called the greatest public health intervention for a reason. So when we do think about the history and reflect on things like this polio vaccination campaign and the scientific miracle that it gave to that generation of kids, I think we we owe it to the kids of today to adopt some of the tactics and messaging that were used to, to basically protect as many kids as we can. What happens if kids
0: don't get vaccinated at high enough rates?
1: What will happen is that there will be a segment of the population of kids that remains at risk for COVID. And while there will be those who are protected, and as rates in the community go down, that should help stop transmission on a whole. I think you have a bigger question of what's going to happen in the future to some of those kids. So even if we're able to, say, contain the spread within schools because we have, you know, 60% of kids vaccinated, those kids will eventually get older. They are still remaining unvaccinated. And at this point, it's safe to say COVID is not going away. And so the kids of today will become the teens of tomorrow. And the older you get, the greater the likelihood of severe illness. We also don't know what sort of new variant could be on the horizon there is a very real possibility that at some point a new variant could come along that is more transmissible that does break through some some of the vaccines and then it will be a race to sort of catch up and any time you have a very large pocket of the population that is unvaccinated it poses a risk to them as well to others around them we think about those people who are immune immune compromised or elderly who need that shield of community protection to keep themselves protected so it, any large chunk of the population unvaccinated, uh, it, it will end eventually pose a risk to, to pretty much everyone.
0: So, so do you think we've missed the boat on fighting this hesitancy or is there still time to get this done and, and make sure that this rollout happens smoothly?
1: We just need to figure out a way to get it to people on their phones, in their hands, where they live. You know, put this message in front of people's eyes and, in a really smart and clever way. So, of course, there's still time. And, you know, while the public opinion surveys do indicate a large portion of parents are going to be hesitant. There are those who remain optimistic that once this vaccine actually becomes available, there will be people who line up. So, you know, that we can take the optimist view that parents will see the alternative. We've been hearing about some very scary, very real deaths of kids in places that have been hard hit, like Alberta and Saskatchewan. So it could be just, that's all it takes for those, for some parents to say enough's enough. I'm going to get my kid vaccinated because I don't want them to become one of these tragic stories. OK,
0: Carly, thank you so much for this conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. I'm Tamara Kandaker. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland and Kasia Mihailovich. Michal Stein edited this episode. David Crosby edits the show and Angela Pacenza is our executive editor. Thank you so much to Carly Weeks. You can find her on Twitter at Carly Weeks. If you want to reach us, you can email us at thedecibel at com. If you want to reach me, I'm on Twitter at Anima underscore TK. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.